For over 45 years, Pensacola Christian College has set aside some time each spring semester for Bible conference. These days of concentrated study and preaching from the Word of God are a time of spiritual enrichment for our students, faculty and staff, and many others who join us for these services. We're pleased to welcome you to the PCC Bible Conference. Aren't the messages this morning encouraging? I hope that you have been finding what you've been looking for. If you're looking for direction this week, God will give it. If you're looking for answers, God will provide them. If you're looking to see Jesus, I'm quite confident that he's here. Hebrews 11, we're going to look at the entire chapter, but for the sake of time this morning, we're only going to read two verses. We're going to begin reading in verse number five, and I want you to follow along with me as I read this text out loud together. And here's what the Bible says. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony. Listen to this, that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. When you entered this world, you entered this world two ways. You were naked and broke. And when you leave this world, you're going to leave this world the same way. You know, we are owners of nothing in this world when it gets, you get right down to it. We're stewards, however, of everything. Even the faith that you have to believe on Jesus didn't originate from you. God gave you that. And everything in our life, our faith, has to be stewarded as well. Hebrews 11 is about individuals that stewarded their faith. In fact, you look at verse number 5, Enoch had this testimony. What was his testimony? That he pleased God. I believe that pleasing God is the ultimate success in one that has stewarded his faith. I think it's quite remarkable that this text says that we can be pleasing to God. And then he tells us in verse number six how we are to please God. He said, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Now, if you stop and think about it, it's really amazing that you can please God. I'm talking about a God that is completely righteous, a God that is totally holy, a God that is so perfect that he cannot even gaze upon sin. And then you realize how frail we are in our humanity. We're sinners not only by our nature, but we're sinners by our choice. And it's even more remarkable that we can please God when you realize that it's hard for us to please men. You ever tried to be a man pleaser? I have found out in pastoring that pleasing men is the occupational hazard of a preacher. And yet this scripture says that even while we have a hard time pleasing men, we can please God. And I want you to notice the means and the method by which he tells us that we can please God. It's remarkable. He says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Now, what does he mean here by faith? What is it I have to do or what is it I have to believe in order to be pleasing to the Lord? How do I steward faith? so that I can be pleasing to God. He says, I've got to believe <clears throat> that God is. Now, what does that mean? 
Well, I've heard some people believe that he's talking about you've got to believe in the existence of God. And I think there's an element of truth in that, but I'm not convinced that that is the primary interpretation of that. I don't know that he's saying that he that cometh to God must believe there's a God to come to. You wouldn't come to God if you didn't believe that there was a God to come to, right? So I think he's got to be talking about more than just the existence of God. By the way, there are a lot of people that believe in God, but they're not pleasing to God. In fact, the matter the devils believe in God and even tremble over that, but they are certainly not pleasing to God. So the author of Hebrews is saying as he walks us through this 11th chapter with all of these illustrations from those in the past who had this great faith, he's saying, I want you to look at their pattern of how they stewarded their faith because it's going to become a model for how you are to steward your faith. He said, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. What does that mean? I think he's saying this. I think he's saying you've got to believe that God was that God is, and that God still is. Now, these are people that are being addressed that are going through an immense time of persecution. When you go back to the 10th chapter and somewhere around the 32nd verse, you pick up on it, you begin to realize that many of these Hebrew believers We're looking at this new relationship they had with Jesus. And they're saying, you mean we're going to be persecuted for our faith? (laughs) You, You mean that we may have to suffer for his name? And they are weakening in their faith. And many of them are throwing in the towel. And they're almost at a point of giving in and giving up. And the writer is pinning these words in order to encourage them to continue on and to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the, in the work of the Lord. And, and so when he says that you've got to believe that God is, I think he is trying to tell them in the broader context of chapter 11 That you've got to believe that God is not just a God of the past, but he is a God that is today and he is still doing today what he did in the past. He's encouraging them to go and look at these examples of chapter 11 and to steward your faith. I think the author knew human nature pretty well. I think he knew that there were people that he was addressing that thought, well, God, yes, used to work that way. And God used to deliver by the miraculous and God used to perform supernaturally. But I mean, after all, this is a new day and we're a different people. And yet he comes back to them and he reminds them once again, no, God is the same yesterday, today and forever. He never changes. And he was trying to get them to understand, yes, God was then, God is now, but God still is. God hasn't changed. He's still the same powerful working God that he has always been. And he will be for you in your situation what he was for them. But you have to steward your faith in that arena. In Hebrews chapter 11 You find everything you will ever need to know about the faithfulness of your God that is designed to spur you on your way to a life that is pleasing to God. But you can never please God apart from stewarding your faith. 
You have to steward your faith and believe several things. You say, preacher, what do you got to believe? Well, I think you've got to steward your faith and believe that God still is for us today. Just like he was for Noah. He's mentioned here in chapter 11. When Noah faced a culture that was corrupt. God had announced his judgment onto the world. Noah was warned by God in verse number seven. And he, God took, or Noah took God at his word and he started building an ark. And he said, the rain is coming. He said, the only way you will ever be saved is to get into the ark. And he built an ark, the scripture said, to the saving of his house. And the flood came. And Noah had to make an important decision of faith at this moment in his life. When he looked around him and the culture was filled with, the, with uh, corruption and degradation. And all Noah had to stand upon was what God had told him. And look, that's what faith is. Faith is confidently obeying God in what he has said regardless of our circumstances and regardless of what the consequences are. And God made a way for Noah to be saved in a culture that was corrupt. And can I just say this afternoon, God's still saving today in a culture that is depraved. Let me tell you this, you don't have to become like the culture to reach the culture. The word of God transcends the culture. Noah was saved in a, corrupt, in a culture that was corrupt when he believed God's word. And that's our job today is to proclaim the truth of God to this culture. Every year in our ministry, or just about every year, maybe every other year periodically, we have in eastern North Carolina what is known as a wild game dinner. Some refer to it as a beast feast. Now, it's interesting, and it's all designed to reach unchurched people. We're after the duck commander crowd. And we're looking for people that don't look like us. We're looking for people that do not know Jesus. And we serve up some really wild things. We serve up things like rattlesnake sausage with jalapenos. We serve up frog legs. We serve up... Some of this stuff is imported. I don't even know what's in it. But I always pray that missionary prayer before I partake. Lord, I will get it down if you will keep it down. And it attracts people from all over. They drive in and, and get tickets for it. And one event we had, our gymnasium was packed to capacity. And after it was over, I asked my wife, I said, honey, what did you do all during this thing? She said, well, I helped in the preparing the food and I helped serve this. She said, what did you do? I said, I just walked around reading tattoos. I said, fascinating. Just fascinating. And I'm engaging people that you could tell had never had conversations with religious people. I, I stumbled upon this group that were there that one of our deacons had invited. And I looked at him and I thought, he just came out of prison. Come to find out a little later, he had served a little time. And I'm going over there and I'm trying to meet him and be friendly. And he, he just has this look of suspicion. And I'm looking, I'm trying to read the artwork on his arm. And arm and neck and head. And I'm engaging with him. And that night we had someone stand up, give the gospel. We had many trust Christ to be saved. I looked up the next day and in our Sunday service, guess who I saw? 
I saw this same guy. He was there with his group. He came the next week. And the next week I watched this guy as he sent under the gospel message. Step out of his seat and he came and he gave his life to Christ. Then his wife gave her life to Christ. And then his son gave his life to Christ. And I watched the gospel do what only the gospel can do can reach down into a culture that is corrupt and it can save to the uttermost them that cometh to God by him. I'm saying today that God still is. The gospel message is the message for a culture that is corrupt today just like it was for Noah. But we have to steward that faith. I would say today that God still is just like he was second of all for Abraham when we face a future that is unknown. I'm talking to students today and many of you are a bit anxious about your future. You are about to graduate and you're not sure what the next step is and you're a bit anxious. I heard a story one time about two Brits. They were a bit anxious. Pardon me, sir. Do you have the time? The young man said to the older gentleman, The older gentleman reached into his vest pocket, pulled out his watch, studied it for a moment, put it back into his pocket without answering me. I say, old chap, do you have the time, you know? To which the old gentleman once again reached into his vest pocket, pulled out his watch, examined it, put it back into his pocket without saying a word. Why'd you do that? Finally, the old gentleman said this. If me told you the time, you'd ask me where I come from. Then you'd ask to visit me. Meet me, old, my beautiful daughter. Fall in love with her. Then you'd ask for a hand in marriage. And there's no way I want a son-in-law who can't afford a watch. <laughs> I'm saying that dude was anxious. Here's Abraham. He's living in Ur of the Chaldees. Do you know the patron god of Ur? It was the moon god. More than likely, Abraham was a a worshiper of the moon. And then one day, the one that created the moon spoke to him. God said, Abraham, it's time to go. And God called Abraham right out of pagan darkness and Abraham started walking and he started stepping. You say, where did he start walking towards and what did he start stepping on? He stepped out onto the promises of God. Abraham did not have to figure out the future. He didn't have to figure the next step out. He only had to do one thing and that was to follow the word of God. And Abraham could live by faith because he was learning to steward the promises that God gave him. And I'm just here to remind you today that God still is. And he will guide you and he will guard you. And he's not just a God that was. He's not just a God that is. He's a God that still is. And he will do for you what he did for Abraham. Oh, he's a God that still is like he was for Sarah. When we have a burden too big. You know, ministry has its burdens. Life has its burdens. Sarah had a burden. She was past the age of bearing a child and she wanted a child so bad. She's 90. For her to have a child was a human impossibility. 
God told her she was going to have one, but she doubted. Even tried to take matters into her own hand. But you know, when God gives you a promise, his promises are yea and amen. One night, Sarah, now this is in the King Timothy version, all right? This is not the King James, but this is in the King Timothy. One night, she wakes up and she says to Abraham, Abraham, can you make a run down to the store? And can you pick up some dill pickles and some peanut butter and some chocolate-covered potato chips? And he's thinking, Sarah, what is wrong with you? Have you lost your mind? Hey, look, she had not lost her mind. She wasn't crazy, but she was pregnant. And nine months later, a child was born. Can I just tell you this? That faith is able to bring the power of God into a barren life. And God still is today. I would tell you that God still is today for you, just like he was for Moses when we face an outcome that's uncertain. Moses had parents that were parents of great faith. Pharaoh had commanded for all of the the sons of Israel to be taken and thrown into the Nile River. Moses' parents, you know the story, had hit him for three months. And then they prepared this little floating basket and they set it off down to the Nile River. God providentially directed it over to the shore where Pharaoh's daughter would see that child. And she took him into the, into the household of Pharaoh. And the scripture says in Hebrews 11 verse 24, when he, talking about Moses, was uh, come to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You say, what's happening here? I personally believe that was Moses' confession of faith. He was, there's not the faith of his mother and father anymore. This was his confession of faith. And Moses made a choice in his life. Verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He made an, an active choice. The word choosing means that he gave a calculated thought to this. This was not a flippant response. He thought this through and he made that individual personal decision. It was Napoleon that said that in a battle there's always a crisis moment of some 10 to 15 minutes in the battle where decisions are made in that battle that will decide the outcome of the battle. And your life is like that. There are some today that you will make decisions Today that will determine where you are five years from now. There are moments of decision in our life that will forever influence us. And it's essential that we learn how to steward our faith inside of those moments. Moses had come to this time of decision in his life and he had to make the choice. And when he made this choice, he did not know how it would turn out. The outcome was undetermined and uncertain. But the one thing that was certain was verse 26. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. You say, why did Moses keep going? Look at verse 27. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. 
Moses looked to the world around him and he looked at all of the things that could bring fear into his life and they brought him no fear because of who he had his eyes on. He saw the one that was invisible. And I'm just here to remind you as a student today that as you enter into your future with all the uncertainties and with all of the unknowns, there's one thing you need to know. There is a God in heaven today that still is. There's a God that still is just like he was for Rahab. When you have a sin that is too great. The Bible records Rahab as being a harlot. But Rahab had heard just a little bit of good news. She had heard how God had opened up the Red Sea for the children of Israel. And they all walked across supernaturally on dry ground. She didn't know a lot of spiritual truth, but she acted upon the truth that she had. She stewarded her faith. She demonstrated her faith later on when the spies came to spy out the promised land and and she hid them. And because of that, God honored her for her faith. And he took her literally from a house of shame to the hall of fame and she's even listed in the family tree of the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm saying today that's what God can do for a sinner do you know there's no one so bad they can't be saved and there's no one so good you don't need to be saved God is still saving and the blood is still cleansing you know why because God still is so we read all these things in Hebrews chapter 11 And we get all excited and we get all worked up and and, and it's not long before we hear that little voice that gets up on our shoulders that, yeah, that's all good. But, you know, you don't really expect God to do that today, do you? You don't really expect God to work that way today. I mean, that was all past tense. And something happens inside of us, I'm afraid, we begin to agree with that voice. And the truth is, many times we don't expect God to do that. We don't expect God to do the supernatural. We don't expect God to do the miraculous. We say, well, he did that thousands of years ago, but this is a new day. And and the majority, majority of us, I'm afraid, many times come to the conclusion that God has abandoned those former ways of operation. And here's what we do. We say, well, if I'm going to get out of my situation today, it'll be because I have a little education If I'm going to get out of that situation today, it's because of my ingenuity. It's because of my cleverness. It's because of my new formula, my new plan, or my sophistication. And the truth is we really don't expect God to step in. Can I ask you a question? Where'd you get that idea? You never got it from the Bible. I'll tell you where I think we got it from. I believe we got it from preachers and from teachers trying to explain away a powerless Christian life and an impotent church. Can I tell you today, it's time to stop interpreting the Bible in light of your experience and start interpreting your experience in light of the Word of God. We need to bring our experience up to the level of thus saith the Lord. Listen, when you pray today, when we worship today, when we read in scriptures about the mention of the things in Hebrews 11, understand this truth about God. He has not changed one bit. 
He still wants to do for you today what he did for them many years ago. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He changes not. But sometimes I'm afraid we treat God as if God has entered into retirement. We think that God has abandoned those former ways of operation and he's now using a different method. And I'm afraid that when we pray, the majority of the time we pray and never expect God to do the supernatural. We don't expect him to do the miraculous. And what this writer, I think, is trying to get us to see is if our life is going to please God, we have to steward our faith and we have to believe that God still is doing that today. One of the greatest illustrations of this I've ever heard in my life was given by the late Joe Henry Hankins. Joe Henry Hankins was a preacher used in yesterday mightily. And he tells the story of when he was a young lad, they grew up on a little farm and his family were very, very poor. His dad was a hardworking man, big man, big calluses on his hands. His mom cared for things around the farm. And one day, Joe Henry Hankin said his brother Charlie came down with typhoid fever. Joe Henry said, my job as a little fellow was to go to the well and get the water and take it to Ma every day. And she would take that cool water from the well and, and she would wipe Charlie's brow and try to get the temperature down. Charlie lay sick for days. The church members had come and gathered outside the house and they began to pray for Charlie to be purged of that terrible fever. But Charlie got worse and worse. And finally, Joe Henry Hankin said, my dad called for the local doctor and he came out and he, he stayed there at the house that evening with Charlie. And it was late into the evening and Mrs. Hankin said to her husband, she said, uh, I'm going to go out behind the barn and I'm going to pray a while. You take care of things here. Joe Henry Hankin said, my mom was a praying woman. She used to pray for us. She used to pray for revival. She knew how to get in touch with heaven. Joe Henry said she slipped out of that old country shack across that dirt courtyard and slipped behind the barn. She stayed there all evening. And the doctor was inside with Charlie. Joe Henry said as the sun began to come up, the doctor came out. And he looked at Mr. Hankins and he shook his head. He said, I've done everything I could do and I'm so sorry, but Charlie's gone. Joe Henry Hankins said his dad reached over there to him and put his hand on his shoulder. He said, Joe Henry, he said, I want you to go with me. We've got to tell your ma that Charlie's dead. He said, they went down that old set a rickety steps across that dirt courtyard and they rounded the corner of where the barn was and he said when he looked to the east he could see the sun beginning to rise but he also saw his mother begin to stand up. She had been on her knees praying. She reached and got her apron and began to wipe the tears away and she goes, how's Charlie? Joe Henry Hankin said his dad reached up and put his big old hands onto the shoulders of his little wife and he said, honey, get a hold of yourself. But Charlie's gone. He's dead. Joe Henry Hankin said, my mom reached up and threw his arms off of her and said, dead? What do you mean he's dead? 
Well, I've been talking to the Lord all night about Charlie, and, and the Lord said he's going to use Charlie to preach the gospel, and, and Joe Henry too, dead. What do you mean he's dead? And with that, she began to course across that little dirt courtyard, went up those rickety steps into that back room, and she threw open the door to where Charlie was laying on the bed. She said, Charlie, get up. Joe Henry said, Charlie, set up. Said, yeah, Ma. What do you want? He said, whew, I got awful cold a little while ago, but he said, I think I could eat something if you'd fix it. Somebody asked Joe Henry Hankins, what do you think happened? Do you believe God raised your brother up from the dead? He said, I don't know if he raised him up from the dead or not. All I know is this, that God heard my mother's prayers. I am just here to tell you today that there was a little mother that dared to believe for her son that there was a God in heaven that is still doing the impossible. And that, my friend, is the God we serve today. And God still is for us like he was for Gideon when we have a task that overwhelms. So get this. He said, if my life is going to please God, I've got to believe that God still is. Now, he uses Gideon here with just a one word mention. And what is it we know about Gideon? <laughs> well, Gideon looked at his circumstances of life and he said, where are the evidences of God? He, are you, have you looked at my situation and you're telling me that God is working and he's visible and he's active in my behalf? And we learned that you have to believe that God is even when your circumstances in life say that he isn't. Judges chapter 6, they're under Midianite bondage. Gideon's trying to hide some food from, for his family knowing that just hiding the food could cost him his very life. And I just love this scripture because you know the Lord has such a sense of humor. And the angel of the Lord comes and says to Gideon, Hell, thou mighty man of valor. Here's Gideon scared to death. And this is Gideon's response. He said, um, If the Lord be with us, and why have all of these things befallen us? And where are all his miracles? You know, Gideon's theology was pretty simple. He said, if uh, God is with us, then nothing bad will happen to us. And if the Lord is with us, then why all these things happen to us? And the truth is, Gideon did not believe that God was with him. You know why? Because he looked at all that was happening in his life. And he's saying, where are the evidences? Why is he not intervening? Why would he let me go through this? It looked in his life and in his circumstances as if God was nowhere to be found. Do you know in Hebrews 11, in chapter 10 especially, you began to realize there were a lot of people then that were looking all around them at their circumstances. And they were saying, where's the evidence of God? Where are his miracles? Why is this happening to, to us? Why would God not protect us from these things? 
And the writer is telling us here that, look, it's essential during those times that you steward your faith and that you believe that God still is, even when it looks like it isn't, like he isn't. I mean, I want to tell you this afternoon, there are going to be times in your life when it looks like God's nowhere around. But the kind of faith that pleases God is a faith that doesn't demand continual information from God. It doesn't demand continual confirmation from God. It just believes that God is even when the circumstances say that you can't see Him. Years ago, I pastored in Charleston, South Carolina. It's a wonderful church. and God got in that thing and started growing it. We outgrew the building and we needed to build a new building. We didn't have any debt, and I was very hesitant to take the church into debt. And for months we prayed and fasted and had our whole church come together for times of fasting and prayer. And finally we realized that we need to build this building and move forward. So we had civil engineers come. We had a builder come design the building for us and we had a time for uh, a groundbreaking. And I told the builder, look, when we do groundbreaking, I don't want to use shovels. I want to use a, a Caterpillar bulldozer. He said, do you know how to drive one? I said, I can handle it. And um, we had the groundbreaking. I jumped on that Caterpillar, man. I fired her up and we had a sure enough groundbreaking. I mean, we, we disturbed some earth that Sunday. And I told him when we did the contract with him, I said, here's what I want to make sure of. We're going to do groundbreaking on Sunday. And on Monday, I want you out there with the crew because by the next Sunday, I want to see huge progress. Our people will respond to that. He said, you got it. He came to the groundbreaking. It was exciting. People were so excited, worked up. I could not wait to get to work on Monday morning. I got there in the office and I'm looking out the window and I see the contractors out there and they have blueprints that are rolled over the hood of his big Ford F-250. And they're looking at it and they're pointing and they're shaking their heads. And he points and he points back over here and he shakes his head. And he points and he points and the other one's pointing at him and he goes, I'm thinking, well, that doesn't look good. A little while later, the contractor comes in and he said, preacher, we have a problem. I said, well, what is it? He said, when the civil engineers were here, he said, they have to measure all of the trees and certain trees are no problem to eliminate. But if a tree is a grand tree over a certain size, then we have to get an arborist out here and we have to get special approval by the city. We have to go through a completely different permitting process. And he said, somehow we, we missed this, I guess. He said, this tree that is going to be on the corner of the building is a grand tree. I said, well, what kind of tree is it? I'm thinking, surely it's a beautiful oak. He said, it's a gum tree. Now, I don't know what you know about gum trees, but when I was a kid, we used to take those gumballs, the sticky balls, roll them in the mud, put them in slingshots, and go after each other all day. It was great. I said, you mean to tell me that a gum tree cannot be removed without special permitting? It's useless. A gum tree's worthless. He said, I know that, and you know that, but they don't care down at the city hall. 
And I said, what are we going to do? He said, I, I don't know. He said, it may be months before we can get an arborist out here because there are very few of them that are qualified to do this and they're all backed up. Oh. I was so disappointed come Wednesday night when the people came. Nothing had happened. Sunday came. I was almost depressed. And the Lord so rebuked me in the course of Sunday's activities. And he said, you know, he said, you really haven't talked to me much about this. And I said, Lord, you're right. I, I'm so sorry. I said, Wednesday night, we're going to have a prayer meeting. And we called the prayer meeting on Wednesday night our people came together and man we had such a sweet group of people there were such an eclectic group too and you know when you come to a prayer meeting in the south sometimes it's just a little bit different you know what a hacker is you know what a windsucker is you ever heard the old preacher that says take your bible and turn to the book of John chapter number two we're going to look at this verse tonight. Yeah. Well, they talk like that and they preach like that and they pray like that. And we had a few hackers there. And uh, sometimes in a, in a prayer meeting in the South, they all just break out and pray out loud. And if you're not used to that, it might just kind of freak you out, just to be honest with you. <laughs> it's all good. But I remember we were all in the altar praying. And I heard some serious praying going on. I heard some things like, Oh God, up in heaven, send the lightning bolt from heaven. Hit that tree. Take her down, God. You built her up. Take her down. Take her down. You know what I did? I said, Amen. I'm agreeing. We got done with a prayer meeting and I had this big old fellow there. He was uh, such a blessing. He's all 330 pounds of him. He comes up to me after he said, Preacher, I got him a color chainsaw back in the truck. <laughs> he said, take care of it tomorrow morning. Won't be a problem. I said, no, you can't do that. He said, no, I'll do it. He said, I'd knock it out in an hour. I said, no, 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 no. I said, you don't understand. I said, we, we, we will get fined and there will be all types of legal issues. He said, I'll be glad to do it. He said, I'll take the hit. I'll take the hit. No problem. <laughs> I said, we can't do that. He said, well, I just, he said, change your mind. Let me know. <clears throat> I went back in the office and prayed and about Thursday morning. The Lord began to speak to my heart just in a still small voice and said, uh, just want you to give a call over to the civil engineer that did all the measuring. And I didn't really have a lot of interaction with him. And when I called him, he was surprised to hear from me. I said, hey, this is Pastor Butler. I said, hey, we got a problem. I said, we got a tree that uh, evidently is a grand tree and it can't be taken down. And, and I need you to come over. He said, what do you want me to do about that? I said, I really don't know. I said, but I know we have prayed here at the church and I've been praying this morning and the Lord spoke to me and he just directed me to you and I think that somehow God's going to use you to be a part of the resolution of this problem. It was quiet. And he goes, um, I, only, I only record what we measure. I said, I understand that. 
But I said, um, would you just agree to meet with me this afternoon over here on the property? Quiet. And he goes, well, I guess. So that afternoon when he pulled up on the property, I was outside waiting for him. He gets out and he looks at me like a calf looking at a new gate. He's like, this guy has lost his mind. He gets out and I said, um, I don't know how God's going to resolve this, but I said, I'm convinced in my heart that you're going to be part of the solution. And I said, we have prayed for the Lord to resolve this issue because we need to build this building. Uh-huh. He said, so what do you want me to do? I said, I really don't know. But I said, I think the Lord wants you to be here. He goes, uh-huh. He said, well, I guess I go look at the tree. And he reached in the back of his truck and he pulled out a measuring tape that they use to measure those trees. And he takes it with him and he said, let's have a look. And he takes that measuring tape and he wraps it around that tree and he goes, huh. He raises it to the next measurement. Huh. He raises it to the third measurement. He goes, well, I'll be. I, I, I said, maybe a little more information. He said, this tree's not the same size as it was when we measured it. <laughs> I said, is it bigger or smaller? <laughs> he said, huh. He said, it's amazing. He said, this tree is, is shrunk. <laughs> he said, um, preacher, this is not a grand tree. Not anymore. <laughs> he said, I don't know what to tell you. He said, but this is not the same size. He said, this thing falls under the designation of a grand tree. He said, you can cut this tree down. I want to tell you, I had a Baptist spell right there. And I shouted all over that back of that property. And all I could do was say, God, thank you that you are a God that's not just a God of the past, but you are a God that still is today. I love the hymn that says this. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Sing this with me, would you? On Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand All other ground is sinking sand Spurgeon said, when I cannot trace God's hand I can always trust God's heart and the faith that God accepts is the faith that remains steadfast and believes that God still is, even when it looks like he isn't. So steward your faith. You've been listening to a Bible conference message from Pensacola Christian College. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.